God is building, and possessively, this is God's building. He is at work, and we're going to read about that today. We're reading out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. If you're new with us, we like to stand as we read the word of God together. There's just something special about hearing your, your brothers and sisters in Christ and your, your neighbors read the word of God from, from our lips, so we're going to do that. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're at work, that you are building. But you're not building buildings of stone or temples or, or houses. You're building a people. You're gathering a people to be your presence among the people of the world. You're building, God, a people to embody your character, to carry your nature, to, to bring to bear your power your resurrection power in a lost and broken and rebellious world. What a privilege it is, God, to be able to come to you, to be called chosen and precious, Lord. What a privilege it is to be with you and to to be among brothers and sisters who are likewise being built. God, I pray that by your spirit we would see the purpose, that we are being built to a purpose. And that purpose is to be uh, your dwelling place. Dwell with your people, we invite you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Family, God is building us to be a dwelling place for him here in Northern Virginia. Grace Covenant Church has existed for, we're celebrating our 40th anniversary this year, and the goal, the, the aim, the, the mission of Grace Covenant Church, uh, rather the, the vision is to win the city. And we've contextualized that here as those who live in the suburbs and further out west from, from D.C. And, and Maryland to say that God wants us to be a part of the process of, of winning the Route 7 corridor. Because everyone who lives on the Route 7 corridor has a job where they can't describe who they work for in some sort of skiff in D.C. Or they work on the hill or they work nearby. And we recognize that this is a strategic place that God has placed us in so that we might be able to be a part of the the greater vision to win the city. God has always sought people to dwell with. The word says that God created the heavens and earth and he created all these things and and creation culminated in what? Adam and Eve, these individuals, these humans, and he placed them in a garden. And it's interesting, if you study the tabernacle that comes comes afterwards, the temple, they reflected the imagery of of a luscious and rich garden. Because this garden was the point at which heaven and earth met, where the presence of God dwelt with the people of God. And from the beginning, God has always intended to be in relationship with his people. 
Part of the reason that you and I feel this hunger, many of us feel this hunger and, and we try to fill it up with other things or numb it with other things, is because we were built for a world that no longer exists. We were built to be in perfect community with a perfect God who has given us a perfectly pursuable purpose. But because of sin, that relationship with God is severed, that purpose is marred, and we find ourselves with desires that are unmet. At the same time, we find ourselves uh, being pursued by a God who is redemptive and who still has not given up on his mission to dwell with his people. We see that God chooses a people and he works through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They go into slavery in Egypt. They're called out by God through Moses and his leadership. A tabernacle is built. This tab, that's a, it's a Christian word. It's a, it's a religious word for a tent. A big, very fancy tent. It was a place at which God would be present. And there was a physical manifestation. They, they had a cloud that would fall. And, and they were able to see the tent and, and the cloud and they would know, hey, God's in there. They, they would be able to get a sense, probably a very visceral sense of his presence. As, as the nation of Israel was established and as was alluded to, David wanted to build a permanent place for God's dwelling. He wasn't able to, he wasn't allowed by God to, but Solomon did. He built this amazing temple which reflected something of the nature and the value of God. Something of the worthwhileness of God. And God dwelt there. And then in, the, in, in, in John, you, you, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we find that the people of Israel just don't quite get it. But in John, we see that, that Jesus comes, and it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the, in the beginning. And it goes on to say, the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt has this sense of tabernacled with us. He became God's presence. He was, he is God's presence with us. Then we see in Acts that God, through the Holy Spirit, comes again and dwells with us. Jesus, in fact, says, if I don't go, it's not good because you need the helper to come to dwell with you. And he comes, the Holy Spirit falls in fire on the day of Pentecost. And, and we see that God now dwells with us. Not only does God dwell, dwell with us here by his Holy Spirit, but Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. We have this unfettered interaction with, with God. We are able to approach the throne of grace, as the writer of Hebrews says. God desires to dwell with his people. What that has to do with us, family, is that God is building not just a building, not just a, a convenient place for us no longer to, to build and tear down and set up and tear down and set up and tear down. No, no longer, uh, it, it's not just about the fact that we don't have to interact with, with some of the negative aspects of, of relating to a, a public high school. This is about God building a people. So we see that in, in 1 Peter, Peter's talking about this. He's talking about what it looks like to build for God to build. And it says, as you come to him, verse 4, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. He's talking about Jesus. The building that God will dwell with has Jesus as its cornerstone. Now, we don't, I don't know that we use cornerstones as much anymore. They're, they're kind of, uh, they're, they're 
illustrious or illustrative. You, you might see a cornerstone where it has a date at which the, the building was built. But the, the purpose of a cornerstone was to provide the direction and orientation for that building. It was to provide level and it was to provide uh, orientation as in, you know, if it's pointed this way. The way that that cornerstone was placed really had bearing on the rest of that building. The rest of that building was going to be dependent upon how well that, that cornerstone was placed. And Jesus provides the cornerstone for what God is building in our lives. If, if your Christianity involves things other than Christ being at the center, you're not doing Christianity. Amen. You might be doing something kind of Christian-y, kind of religious, but Jesus is at the center, or in this case, he's at the cornerstone of our, the building of our life. What is at the cornerstone of the building of your life? When you look at the way you spend your time, your energy, your money, if, if someone were, were to look at, at a, a transaction of your life, what would they w- walk away with? Would they walk away that, you know what, I think that, I think that Jesus is the Lord of this person's life. They listened to your conversations. They heard what you said while you're by yourself, what you thought while you're by yourself. What would they say is at the cornerstone of your life? What's providing direction and orientation in your life? Again, we don't, we don't just add the kingdom, as, as Pastor JC said. The kingdom is at the center or it's nowhere at all. And Jesus desire, desires to be the cornerstone of our life. And, and whatever God builds, he puts Jesus at the center. We've been going through the book of Colossians, and, and so much of Colossians is just saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's higher, he's better, he's stronger, he's smarter, he's, he's, he's more authoritative He wins, he wins, he wins. Jesus is at the cornerstone. Peter tells us that not only is he the cornerstone, but he's a living stone. I don't know about you, but I have never had a conversation with a stone. Or at least not one where the stone responded. If you had, well, we won't talk about the circumstances that might surround that kind of interaction. My guess is there might have been other things involved. Um, because stones don't talk. Stones aren't alive. I'm glad, because that would be weird. Driving down a gravel driveway, ouch, 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 stop that, it hurts. You know, you have bite marks in your tires. Stones don't live. Like that's, I want, I want you to imagine that because that's, that's, the, that's the emphasis of this text He calls Jesus a living stone, and that ought to catch you off guard. What? A living stone? A heavy stone? A strong stone? A cold stone? That wasn't even a... Three degrees from sweets for me. Um, But but a living stone, that's, that's unique. But Jesus is a living stone. The good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus died on the cross after having lived a perfect life so that we could watch him die and then think about how we can do a good job until we die. The gospel is not the message of, you know what, just do a little bit better like Jesus did a little bit better. It's not, stop cussing and, and, and stop drinking and make sure you walk ladies across the street and then you'll die and maybe things will be okay. 
The gospel is nothing if Jesus is not alive. Those aren't my words, those are Paul's words. He says, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we are fools and we ought to just party. But the good news is that Jesus is a living stone. He did rise from the dead. He defeated death and holds the power of life. He is the living stone. And like a cornerstone, he sets direction, orientation, reference for us as individuals and for our church. Peter goes on and he says that he was rejected by men, but he was chosen by God. There's something about the economy of God in, on this side of eternity where humility precedes exaltation. Humiliation precedes exaltation. That's, that's the nature of God. That's the way of God. And we see it played out over and over and over again. We see it in the life of Joseph. Joseph, this, this young man who God ends up using to save the people of Israel, begins his life hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, maligned, imprisoned, in pain, rejected. But what does God do? He, he redeems him and he uses him. We see this in, in so many other stories in the Bible of individuals whom, who had to go through a season of, of humiliation, of, of being brought low, but then in order that God might raise them up. And we see Jesus come, and, and it's the ultimate expression of this, where God, kind of a big deal, fairly high on the totem pole of authority and power and dominion and, and honor, he humbles himself. And, and Paul talks about how he humbles himself um, he becomes this baby, and if, you, if you've never held a newborn, they're, they're pretty helpless, and, and they're weak, and they're incapable of a lot of things, and they're vulnerable, and that's what God did for us, is he subjected himself to the, such humility, the, the God of the universe, right? As a baby, the, the Bible says in Colossians that, that things are held together by Jesus, so listen to this. As Jesus is a baby wedding himself, he's also holding creation together. He's holding the fibers of the diaper around his body together. He had humbled himself to the greatest of degrees. And he was rejected by men. This, this king who should have come and, and they should have received him. They should have been aware of the scriptures. It's, it's not just that they didn't understand. Jesus tells a story of, of these two guys who die, Lazarus who goes to heaven, this rich man who goes to hell, and, and, and the, the rich man is like, please, give me, just, just give me some water. Just please give me some water. And, and, and it, they, God tells them, no, we can't. And then he says, well, just go and tell my relatives that maybe, maybe or, or he tells Lazarus, go and tell my relatives about this, please. And and. What Jesus says is that no one would believe someone who was raised from the dead if they did not already believe Moses, talking about the scriptures. Jesus was rejected by men who should have known, who had the scriptures, who should have been aware of who he was, and should have received him with, with thanksgiving. But he was rejected. On the other hand, he was chosen and precious in God's sight. See, God, God looks at things differently than you and I do. 
He sees, he sees the heart. Certainly God knew that Jesus, his son, was Jesus, his son, and he, he received him because he was the second person of the Trinity. But, but in his humanity, God also receives the son. You can't just, sometimes we like to punt with, with Jesus and say, well, I can't be like Jesus because Jesus was God, punt. You know, oh, well, I understand Jesus was perfect, but Jesus was God, punt. But Jesus is also perfectly human, absolutely 100% human. And God approved of him. The Father approved of him, received him, loved him. He was precious to God. And because of that, because of this cornerstone, we can be confident in what God's building in your life and my life and our life. He goes on and he says this, you yourselves are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are living stones. That's good news. If you are trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you recognize that, that you are a sinner by nature and choice, that you have broken God's law, that you have sinned, you've done wrong things, you haven't done right things, that as good as you are on your best day, you are a terrible sinner on your worst day, and you're not that great on your best day. And I say that as a sinner. If you recognize that, but you, you trust the fact that Jesus lived a life that you should have lived, a life of perfection and obedience and honor and, and righteousness, and that he died on the cross bearing the wrath of God, the sin, sinful wrath or the, the righteous wrath for our sin that we should have paid. If you're trusting in him, then you're building, being built up as a living stone. Paul says it differently. He says that we are new creations in Christ. We're new creations. We have a new nature. God is at work in your life. As he says in Philippians, he who began a good work in you. He who has begun a good work. God is at work in your life. As he says in Ephesians chapter 2, you are God's workmanship, which he, which he, he created in Christ. We are his living stones. How does this happen? He says in verse 4, as you come to him. As we come to him, as we trust in him, as we look and say, Jesus, I trust you, we are now living stones, part of the building that he's building. That we trust in Christ means we have a new nature, a nature that reflects the nature of Christ. And that means that like Christ, you and I, we will be rejected by men and we will be chosen, we are chosen and precious in God's sight. We don't need to, and when I say rejected by men, some of us are rejected by men because we're ornery. Some of you might be rejected by men or, or by, by people because of your bad attitude. That is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the fact that if we're walking in consistency with who God is, if you are pursuing Jesus Christ in a relationship in, in, in all areas of your life, there are going to be people who are going to look at you and say, nope, don't want any of that. There are going to be employers who say, if you're not willing to bend the rules here and come alongside of us, with our lack of integrity, we're not interested in that. There are going to be relationships where, where the other person is going to say, if you're not willing to go this far and further with me, then I'm not about that. There are going to be communities of people who are going to look at you, just the fact that you say that you love and trust Jesus Christ, and they're going to say, nope. They're going to equate that with hate. You're going to be rejected by men. 
We don't need to put any stumbling blocks in, in, in front of people ourselves. We don't need to be unkind or unloving or impatient. But the fact that we are faithful and pursuing Jesus Christ, trying to live in, in, in truth, is going to mean that people are going to reject us. John says this, or Jesus says this in the book of John, chapter 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples before he's about to be crucified. And he says this, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I, but, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. People will reject you. And as a, as a side note, if in your pursuit of Christianity you find that everyone is cool with you all the time, it might not be Christianity. I'm, again, I'm not saying be annoying. Please don't be annoying. Please don't be annoying and then say, well, Pastor Eddie told me that I could be annoying because people are going to reject me. Please don't blame your bad attitude or your unforgiveness or your unwillingness to, to shower on me. And that's not what we're talking about. But the call to faith in Jesus Christ is going to ruffle feathers. And, and we are, we, I've talked with other pastors about this, and I'm sure you've been paying attention, but, but the world, it feels like, it feels like they're, the dial on the dimmer is going down. Now, in this room, there are dimmers, and if you dial it down, then it'll get darker. That's what it feels like. It feels like the, it's getting darker. What that does is that wherever there are points of light, those, light, those lights become, become more evident. And some people are happy for that light, and some people want to quench that light. People will reject you. And that will hurt. That'll be uncomfortable. It won't be fun. People might say mean things. We've been working with Mobile Hope. We've been trying to be in this community. We've been trying to love Sterling well. And there are going to be people who receive that love. There are going to be people who receive our, our care, our stuff, our money. But the moment we say, can we talk to you about Jesus? They're going to say, nope. But that's what our call is. Our call is to be faithful, to share the gospel with people. Certainly to build bridges of relationship, but in order that the truth might come across. We will be rejected by some, but we will also be called chosen and precious by God. In Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about how we are chosen by God, how before the foundations of the world, God chose us, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. He predestines us for adoption as sons. He chooses us before we're even born, before we're even created, before the earth has atmosphere. Not only are we chosen, but we're beloved. First John talks about how we are his beloved children. Some of you need to hear that. You are God's beloved child if you're in Christ. You're not just saved, right? God doesn't just stamp, oh, you're not going to hell. No, he wants to have a relationship with you. He, he, he's pleased by you. 
I was reading this, this commentary, uh, it was an article, and it just struck me, the article was about the, how God is pleased by our obedience. Now, in, in, in the evangelical world, there, there's this push, and it's legitimate to say that we're not saved by, by works, right? We are not saved by the things that we do. No amount of you doing good things is going to uh, accrue some sort of merit with God that he now owes you to bring you into heaven. That's not a thing. We, we are all fallen short of, our, our, uh, of the glory of God and the wrath of God is upon us because of our sin. It's only by grace that we're saved. That's called justification by faith alone in Christ alone. But once we're on this side of saved, there is a real relationship that we have with God which we can please him. You can please God. You might be pleasing him right now. If you're not on your phones doing something else as the sermon is being preached. I'm just kidding. Or am I? No, I am, I am kidding. You're beloved and you're precious. You're loved. God is pleased. I'm so thankful for you guys. I'm so thankful for your faces, for your hearts to serve, for your countless hours sacrificed, for the money that's been given, for the, the desire to be helpful and kind and, and available. It pleases God. And when he sees his people doing things here and doing things here, and, and now there's a, there's a riser, and, and we, we actually built a different thing here. We being other people, I, I think I screwed a few screws in, but we built it. It was half the height, and it was a little bit, and uh, it didn't work. And we had this. Probably should have just started with this because it looks a lot nicer. But we built it. But it was cool because we built it, and then other guys realized that I've got these skills in the area of AV. We, we assessed it. This was not, the, the other thing was not the solution. But you know what? That solution is now in the children's or the youth ministry wing. And, and Mr. Mike has a stage to step onto to begin to kind of signal to the teens to pay attention and get off their phones and listen. And it was cool that, that p- different people were working, doing different things, and, and God was being glorified through it. He was building through his people. He's, Peter goes on to say that we're, we're a spiritual house. We're being built into a place where God dwells. When people come to our church building and interact with the people of God, they're going to encounter God. God can do what he wants and people can come into the building and God could just boom and they fall over and just because they walked into the building experience relationship with God. He could do that. He's allowed. It, it's his building. Probably the most likely way that people experience Christ is through you. People will experience God through the people of God. When we go into the world as living stones, we carry the presence and power of God with us. When you go to your profession, when you go to work on Monday, when you go do things on Tuesday, when you're at the grocery store, even though we're disparate and separate, we still are the temple of God and we still bring the presence of God with us. And that's a privilege that we have. That We can go to the... the, the we can go to Sweetwater after service and we can pray for someone and bring the presence of God to bear in their life. When we work together, we're stronger and more stable than alone, like a stone wall that is well built is better than a bunch of scattered stones. I was doing some work with my father-in-law uh, who happens to be on the front road and uh, he has a lot of rocks in his yard because he has a, a pretty big yard. Um, he lives on a mountain which is made of rocks. So there's just rocks. There's lots of rocks. Um, and so me and, and, and my, my sons and daughter, we're, we're trying to help him uh, build a, a little pathway. 
And you know what? Rocks are much better and more useful when they're organized. When you're not stepping on them, but they're providing a, a pathway. God's building something that it's a corporate entity. Again, this is why it, don't listen to anyone say that I can be a Christian, but I don't have to go to church. That may be true. I, I question that in its, in its application in real life. Theoretically, sure. But you're going to miss out on what God has intended for your life to be. God is building. Family, God is building. I don't know if you noticed, but he says this. As you come to him, you yourselves are being built. You're not swinging the hammer. For some of you, that's good because you don't need to swing any hammers. And when it comes to our relationship with God and our own architecture of our life, it's good that we are not swinging the hammer. God is building. This place is a testimony in the physical to what God is doing in the spiritual. At some point, we're going to get, I preached out of Joshua a few months back, and, and we, we saw that, that the Israelites crossed the Jordan, but before they finished, they got stones out of the, the riverbed, and they stacked them up. And I love it. You're like, why would they stack up stones? Like, what's the point of that? And it's like, that's the point. So that you ask the question, what's the point of those stones? This building is our stack of stones. When people pass by, they're, what's that about? So we can talk to them about the faithfulness of God. You know, that building was given to us. We, we, it wasn't given to us. We're paying. Um, <laughs> by the grace of God. Uh, that building was, was we, we leased it. We're pursuing it. And we're building and living out of it, um, doing church out of it. Because God is at work in our, in our church. He's, he's growing us. People are being changed. Lives are being uh, changed God's helping people, and we're so excited for what God is doing. This building is not the point, but it's a testimony to the point. We're a holy priesthood, he goes on to say, we're meant to serve God. You were meant to serve God. You were made to serve God. You were made to offer your life to him. And ultimately, he says that we're to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, what are we talking about? What are these spiritual sacrifices? They're obviously not lambs. We don't have spiritual lambs up here. I guess if we did, we wouldn't know because they would be spiritual and not physical. Um, but I'm fairly certain that's not what he means. If, he goes, <clears throat> if you look at verses 8 and 9, he says, um, I'm sorry, verse 9 and following, <clears throat> he says, you are a, holy, uh, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He kind of reiterates what he has just said. And he says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our lives are meant to testify to the goodness and grace of God. Our lives are meant to testify to the goodness and grace of life. You, <clears throat> the grace of God, your life is meant to testify to the goodness and grace of life. What, what is the point of my life? What do I need to do? Where do I need to go for college? What do I need to pursue? What do I need to do now that I'm, I'm, I'm 45 and I'm moving, moving into the latter part of my life? No, what, am I, what am I supposed to do now that I've, I've retired and, and everyone's out of the house? Your life was intended to be a testimony to the goodness and the grace of God. <clears throat> the specifics, God will work out, but that is the purpose. Family, how you and I live and what we do with our lives is not up to us. As I come to a close, God is building us. We are living stones. 
We're part of God's building. This building is not my building. This building. This building is not Pastor Jermaine's building. It's not Debbie's building. It's God's building. And it's your building. And there's a purpose of God that he desires to see reflected in your life. For, for some of you, that purpose begins with trusting in Jesus for the first time. It means recognizing, you know what, I am a sinner. I have chosen and tried to live my life in my own way, and I recognize that that's bankrupt. That there's no hope in that. There's no solution in that, and there is dread that I have if I'm really honest with myself about what the, the next life might look like. What, what happens after I die? If that's you, God calls you to put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. To trust him to be the perfect, righteous person that you never were, nor could be. To die the death that you should have died. And to rise again, defeating Satan, sin, and death, that you might also live in newness of life. If that's you and you want to trust in Jesus Christ, we're going to pray in just a moment. And for the rest of you, your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. And God expects that as living stones, you reflect his glory and you, you follow in with how he's building. Where do you need to be plugged in? How do you need to be built in this building? What do you need to do to bring the presence, the power of God to bear in this corporate reality? Because he's talking to us as a people. He's not talking to individuals. The you there is plural. As you come to him, you are being built. We're, building, we're being built, family. And God's got a purpose for us. And I'm excited for what that's going to look like. Let's pray. Father God, I, I worship you and I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for all that you've done. If you're in this room and you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want to respond by praying, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you. There's nothing magical in the raising of the hand or the prayer. It's just a reflection of what God's doing in your life. Well, Father God, we love you and we thank you that you are at work. And we thank you that the promise is he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for this building. But more importantly, we thank you that you're building.